Hello and welcome to Art for the People, a podcast that goes deep in conversation with Nigerian and African writers, artists, and thinkers. I am your host, Molara Wood. My guest on this episode is the South African writer, Zukizwa Varna. She's the author of several books, including the novels, London, Cape Town, Joburg, Men of the South, and The Madams, as well as Hardly Working, a travel memoir, and several children's books. She co-authored A Prisoner's Home, a biography of Nelson Mandela, and coordinated transnational anthologies, including Waterbirds on the Lakeshore, which we'll be talking about in this episode. Also, a publisher at Paivapo, Zukizwavana recently won the Gotha Medal for Outstanding Contributions to International Cultural Exchange through her curation of projects including Artistic Encounters in collaboration with Gotha Institute Nairobi, where she is based, and the groundbreaking Afrolit Song Frontiers, the first virtual literary festival started in response to the coronavirus lockdown. We're talking about the new anthology, uh, an anthology of Afro young adult fiction titled Waterbirds on the Lakeshore. And I have with me Zukizwa Vana, coordinator of the project. Welcome, Zukizwa. Thank you very much, Malara. It's good to be here. Well, you've had uh, a launch of this anthology at the Ake uh, Arts and Book Festival. What was that like? It was utterly and absolutely phenomenal. To put it in perspective, when I first conceived this idea, I was already, the first thing that I said when I was talking to the Guta Institute was, please, can you make sure that we do the launch at Akes Festival? So I was very happy that they could uh, be able to get it done at the Akes Festival. But uh, more importantly, when we were initially talking about it, they were saying, ah, we'll likely have a budget where we'll put in a hat five of the writers or whatever, because we thought we'd have maybe 10 or 12 good short stories. We ended up having 17 really good short stories, and uh, the Gute uh, somehow managed to also coordinate with Arts Moving Africa, and they created magic. And all the 17 writers in the anthology made it, which was exciting. Made it to Ake Festival. Made it to Ake Festival and to Lagos. I, I, I know more than most, uh, uh, I think, about how brilliant and exciting this anthology is uh, having had the privilege of editing the uh, English edition of it. And may I say what a glorious job you did of it. Like a lot of things, I think I'd been seeing the stories for so long. A lot of things that passed me by, you just caught them like that. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure, my pleasure. Was this the first time that the anthology was being seen anywhere? Was it just the English edition that you were... Uh, launching Atake Festival or the entire? Well, we're we're launching all the three books. So the Kiswahili, the uh, French, and uh, the English. Definitely a sense of something special. 
Absolutely. At the end of a long journey, how long has it been for this project from the start to the completion and the launch, would you say? The actual very practical form of it has been 13 months. But just in March or April last year, that's when March I had... March 2018. March, March 2018. That's when I had a meeting with with the Goethe Institute and they said to me, oh, we're thinking of doing something different with our literature program. What do you have in mind? And I said, you know, we have quite a few novels for adults on this continent. We have quite a few children's writing. But the biggest population on this continent is young adults, 13 to 19. In fact, the average population on this continent, I was seeing somewhere statistics, is 19.4 years old, you know. Uh, and a lot of that, like many of the countries have... So uh, have young adults were like 15, 14 as the majority of the population. So despite the fact that they're considered too young to vote, they're the ones that the geriatrics who rule us are making decisions on behalf of. So I said, no, this is the, this is the, this is the audience I want to talk to. But also we want to get into a space where it's, it's as wide as possible. We can't... And initially I've been thinking of the three... Um, uh, colonial languages, so English, French, and Portuguese. But when Lusophone countries in uh, at the Goethe Institute did not come on board for this particular project, I was very excited that uh, Dar es Salaam, Goethe Institute Dar es Salaam, decided that they wanted to come on board in Kiswahili. So now we had an African language, which to me was amazing. It's such a positive development, having this anthology published in Kiswahili and at the same time English and French. I think it's it's such a positive it's absolutely point amazing. to make. It's absolutely amazing. About the importance of indigenous languages on the continent. Absolutely. But you know what's interesting? What's equally interesting is our French publisher did a call out a little while after us, uh, probably, well, a few months after us. And what they're doing is they're doing a call out. They did a call out for novels. So I think they've closed the call out. They did a call out for YA novels. And they did it, and the submission should have been in English, French, and Hausa. So, <laughs> so it's something that makes me absolutely happy, you wow. know? Because it means that um, we're moving forward. We are moving forward. And uh, with this, we have Kiswahili. I don't know what it's like in, in Kenya or in Eastern Africa. You might want to uh, say something about that. But for me, as a West African, it's quite significant because we seem to be moving further. We seem to be moving further away from this idea of our languages as languages that you can read for pleasure, that you can read to. Uh, replenish the soul and feed the mind. So, so this is great, and I'm sure that, like you just mentioned, Nahausa, but also other languages, uh, people who create or who create the space or who facilitate will give more mind uh, to the need to make to, space for exactly. other languages going forward. Absolutely. Encouraged and, and, by your example. Well, I don't know whether, you know, people have been doing it uh, uh, for a long time. I just just happened to be on a team that had perhaps a bit more visibility um, more than others. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't discount all the work that has been done. There has been a lot of work that has been done on this. But we continue and we, and we strive on and we, we fight on and uh, suddenly it's, 
it's something that I'm really excited because my son is taking Kiswahili in school and uh, he was saying to me oh uh, I don't know should I drop Kiswahili and I said you can't you have to have an African language so he's doing English and Kiswahili and French and so it's kind of nice for me that my own copies I'll be able to come to him and say to him hey you know what let's see how are you doing with your three languages that you're studying in school you know I was saying that uh, with Eastern Africa you've just said to us now that uh, people have been doing a lot of work in that regard I think definitely for Nigeria we're in Lagos we're having this conversation in Lagos for Nigeria uh, we have had a lot of for my language, which is Yoruba, we have had in decades past novels, short stories, etc., etc., plays in the Yoruba language, but we've had some kind of desert years in the last 20 years or so. We had a Yoruba panel at Ake, and yes, this was and one of the concerns. Exactly. How do we get new stories in the language? Yes, I like that, 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 um, that panel happened. And last year there was the Igbo panel. Yeah, there was one know? in Igbo last year. Yeah, so I appreciated that these conversations are happening. But as I said, you know, I think one of the one of the craziest things that happens with literature is, uh, you know, um, too often as, I don't know whether we are considered the, 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 the brains, the biggest brains of the artistic uh, field, but too often the responsibility on language is, is put on, 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 on writers as opposed to anybody else. And I always say that I think that, um, you know, uh, we, a writer should not be told what language to write in the same way that we don't tell a painter what color to use for their painting or a musician what instruments to put in the, in the whatever. However, and this is important, if a uh, those of us who are creatives feel that something something is important enough. So, for instance, for instance, my mother's my mother's language is is, is Shona, you know. And one of the things that I did uh, with uh, with a book that uh, was published by Weta Books and that I published in Southern Africa, a children's anthology called Story 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 Come, is I felt it was so important to have it in as many African languages as possible. So, because it was important to me. I did the Shona translation, and I think uh, we should be able to get into that space where we, as creative people, also say, hey, we feel this is important, as opposed to just saying, ah, but why aren't we writing in African languages? Let's not say why aren't we. If you feel it's so, so, so important, let's do something be the person it. who does it. Yeah. Be the person who yeah. does it. Absolutely. Absolutely right, of course, but my feeling also is that even though we can't tell writers what languages to write Creator. but I, I i think if the structures are there mm. if the enablement is there mm. the publishing environment is there to support our creation in other languages we will find a way 10%, to 10 percent 20 who will naturally drift to or, that. or at least you know write some some in in that language how did this project come about how did water birds on the lake shore? What was this? What was the spring for this idea? Well, as mentioned, uh, the Goethe Institute had said they wanted a different. Goethe uh, Institute of uh, South Africa. No, Sub-Saharan. Sub-Saharan. So they cover. They, they're headquartered in South Africa, all right. But you know, when they do their annual gatherings or whatever, it's they've got Lagos, they've got 
Joburg, they've got Da, they've got Lome, they've got Da kind stuff and everything. So they say they wanted so so of course I wrote this little thing to them and I said, Okay guys, uh does this work for you? And they say to me, Yeah, that's absolutely amazing, we can work with this. And uh so they let it out to the other Guta Institute. Initially we actually had nine. Addis Ababa was one of them. But then they said, ah, their budget had gone some other way. And we said, no, that's fine. So on the 1st of September, we did the call out and we said, you've got until three, you've got three months until December 30th. Please submit your short stories, 2,500 to 5,000 words. Good length for? Yes, for a for, short story. For, for short stories and for also prizes, some yes. of the prizes. Yes. <laughs> and we won't mention We won't mention which. <laughs> Anyway, so we did that, and we received uh, we received 435 stories from 28 African countries. 425 stories from... 35. 20. Wow. 435 from 28 African countries. And uh, we only had workshops in, in, in eight countries. So in Nigeria, because these are the, the good institutes that signed up to the, to the workshop. So uh, Lagos, Accra... Dakar, Lome, uh, Kigali, Dar es Salaam, Nairobi, and Joburg. So those those cities in, in those eight countries are the ones that signed up. But for, uh, for the workshops. So uh, the stories were, sh- were submitted in English? Uh, no, the stories were submitted in English, in French, and in Kiswahili. And what happened is I read through the slash pile, original slash pile of the English and Edwish Draw, who you're familiar with from yes, past Akean stuff, read through the the French and Elias Mutani from Tanzania read through the Kiswahili. And so the three of us were responsible for answering emails and saying we received the da 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 and then once that happened then essentially on first uh, of December we had to make sure that we had each of the stories was in different spaces. So, for instance, the um, the stories that came for the English workshop, you know, we had to look at which is the nearest center to them, which is how somebody like Howard Mebu uh, Maximus from Cameroon, who wrote Oblier, had uh, did the workshop in, 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 in Lagos because that was closest to him. And uh, we had like uh, the French, French workshops, we had two, Lome and Dhaka. And so we chose where each of the writers, how close they were, proximity. you know, the pr- proximity. So we did, we did that. And then I sent them out to the selected facilitators that we'd already selected. So we had Richard Alimutu from DR Congo and Edwige. And so the two of them... Oh, not the Richard Ali of Nigeria. No, 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 no. Was, no it was, I saw Richard Ali, I thought it was him. No, it's Richard Ali Mutu. Or as we call him amongst the Africa 39ers, 39ers the real Richard Ali. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, 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 and the Nigerian Richard Ali is called Torah, the other Richard Ali. <laughs> You'll be hearing from Richard Ali's lawyers. I know. He, and he's a he's lawyer, a too. lawyer. <laughs> so Edwish and, uh, and Richard then sifted through and selected for the French workshop, Elias, sifted through what would 
what will qualify for, for the for the Dar es Salaam workshop. And then what I did with the English workshop, because I was very aware that bias is sometimes possible because of familiar names. So for the Kigali workshop, for instance, the story, and I was doing the Kigali workshop, the stories were read by Mamle Kabu, who was doing the Accra workshop. The, oh, yeah, the um, she chose which ones would, would would go through to the workshop. I see. Yeah, so from those four hundred thirty-five, and then the the Joburg workshop uh, was selected by Kenyanjo Kumbani, who was facilitating the Nairobi workshop, and the Accra workshop was selected by William Ifayani Moore, who was doing the Lagos workshop. So no, uh, yeah. no chances of, of, of bias, bias exactly. or partiality to some or, exactly. unconscious, unconscious bias, bias exactly. for names that one that are familiar or that yeah, have been uh, won this prize or that have been shortlisted for this or whatever. I didn't want that to happen. I just wanted really good stories. And then, yeah, and then I had the hard job of uh, reading through the, 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 the Nigerian submissions you know, there, there were a lot of the 435, 126 were from Nigeria. <laughs> I always say when I when I go through, you know, like when we're judging the Tisalat, you and I, yes. and and even in this in this situation, I always say, if one in five Africans is Nigerian, one in five Nigerian thinks they're a writer, <laughs> and, and, and so of course we had a we had a whole lot of stories. Coming from, from there, yes, I was very lucky because immediately after we we did we did the call out, I had a I had PhD student from uh, South Africa who is working on African literature in particular, and she said to me, "Hey, I would like to volunteer, you know, uh, to read through the stories," and I said to her. I'm so I'm so delighted that you'd like to volunteer. So she did like 50 of the stories from Nigeria, but of course I still read through them. She was absolutely amazing and read through it. And and then yeah, so after we did that we sifted through. And because I am so obsessed with deadline. Yeah. Because I've been African all my life mm-hmm. and people always talk about how Africans don't African need deadlines. Yeah. Yeah, I try to avoid that. And so I told all the facilitators that I wanted their selection of stories by the 26th of February of December 2018 2018 mm-hmm. so they were working during the holiday season because everything came in I sent I sent out the stories to them on the 1st of December so they had to get back to me and let me know which stories they had selected by the 26th of December for workshops I then set through uh, from 26th up until the 30th. I sent the regret letters to the people who didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And then because uh, I have a twisted sense of occasion, mm-hmm. I made sure that just before midnight on the 31st, <laughs> I sent the congratulatory <laughs> emails to so those who had made the, the workshops. To those that made the yes. workshops. Uh, so that they would make uh, they'd get it on the first <laughs> on, nice the, on the thirty first. A, a nice way to come, yes, yes. To, get, to get into the new year. Yeah. yeah so we did that. Uh, then in February uh, we had the workshops, and they happened all in the same week, except for Lagos, Why? and that was because of the elections. Because you know initially had a certain election date, 
and in fact and it was postponed. postponed so we could actually have kept that particular date yeah. anyway but uh the people in the lagos workshop did it in in advance so um so that was that and then after the workshops we sifted through again yes uh each of the gluten institutes had like teams they read through but i also got a team of 16 yes uh young adults and where they liked the story and the adults did not like the story i selected the story that they liked this is wonderful yeah this is wonderful because they were the target audience yes yeah so uh for the workshops you had more than 17 stories Yes, for if the workshop. They went to workshop. Yeah, the people that did not guarantee. Yeah, they would the people who took part in the workshops were fifty-two. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is a major project. Yeah. And you, so you. So from to... fifty-two, then we sifted through to seventeen, mm-hmm. and those are the people in our in the in, in our ecology. book. Yeah. Uh, well, Nigerian elections uh, come in the way of everything, <laughs> as even you have um, discovered now, but um, there was, um, when you were talking about your son earlier, being able to read this in Kiswahili, once I got home, the pack that you gave me, mm. I snapped the French one, because mm. my uh, younger son mm. uh, studied French to A-levels, so mm. I, I said, I've got a book for you. <laughs> something he can read in French in English also of course but he can read so it was really special to me the fact that I I could say to him I've got a novel waiting for you in Lagos Mm. in French so for the manuscript that that I received for editing Mm. there would have been stories that had to be translated from Kiswahili into English there were stories so what happened so after after we selected then the next story was the next phase was uh, we had two stories in Kiswahili. Yeah, harmonizing. And, and, yes. And uh, Elias translated those into English. And then I passed the English translation yes. to Edwige to translate into French. Then the four stories in French, Edwige translated that into English. And then I passed the English translations of the French. And then into 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 Kiswahili, you know, and Elias did that. So, but I also had to be very careful because I know sometimes a lot can be lost in translation, and I had to look at it in a very with a very artistic eye, and get into a space where uh, I make sure that it's 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 as as beautiful and as lovely as as what you call it which is why like you remember i was telling you that this is this one of my favorite introductions but it was initially done in french black cornea white iris yes and it's by by a congolese writer made him corey and this is just the introduction where it's like it seems that my blood appeases the gods of the mountain during volcanic eruptions it appears that my hair heals more than 800 illnesses typhoid fever kidney failure chicken pox even the terrifying Ebola. Looks like my nails mixed with cassava leaves pounded with green chilies give a portion that cures AIDS. There's an impression that a portion made with my nose brings luck and love. There's a suggestion that my blood doubles as excellent radar in ore deposits to find gold. There's an insinuation that a portion made out of my tongue renders one eloquent. There's a feeling that grinding my bones brings success in business. It would seem but what was crazy about this particular thing is, I remember just 
giving and accept to different people. Yes. And immediately, everybody will go back to me, say to me, oh, is this story about, an, about albinism? Yes. And I said, yes. And it was at that point that I kind of laughed and smiled and almost cried for the pure pleasure of it because I was like, he didn't you have know, to name it. Yet. I didn't. I, he didn't name it yet. But it also shows how we think we are so different on this continent, but we're so similar in so, so many similar. ways. I you mean, know, the, the bit, as you were reading that now, and of course, I had a very strong impression of this story when I was editing it. Uh, but as you're reading now, he's actually talking about horrific things. Yes, but it's so poetic. It's poetic the, the, and beautiful. And beautiful. And, you, you and it made sense in English and was translated from the French, yeah. you know? Of course, immediately you come into it. Yes, we're, we're, we're more similar than we are different because this issue of faced by people living with albinism on, in many African countries, we, we have it about this... Uh, Muti, uh, yes. Oh, Muti. Muti and... Uh, uh, in Tanzania, it's called Dawa, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some places, Juju. Yeah. Here, it will be Juju. And, and it's told from the point of view of a young Young person. boy, yes. A uh, uh, young adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the note that I sent to you when I was done with the editing, I thought that many of the stories managed to capture that undecided space between adolescence mm. and adulthood for the African. And, and a space that often is not treated enough in writings by Africans. That space in people's lives where things could very easily go this way or that way. Or that way, way. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think they did that so beautifully and uh, with such... And, and what's crazy about it is uh, when we did the call out, we said anybody could submit. So the youngest submission we had was 13 years old. <laughs> and the oldest submission we had was an 85 year old. You travel to places when within endlessly. Afi weti kolaka we yembeni no poi we to ladu. Done all that. You've talked about widow books. Can you talk about. The publishers that have been in, that are involved in this and that have brought these books out, um, maybe something about how they came on board and why them strategically. Okay, so uh, we had with books. Uh, you know, I talked to our sister Lola and she was immediately on board. She was like, yes, and she said this is a wonderful idea. So she came on board. I. Uh, Got, uh, but we we sent it to three publishers because this is what the Guta Institute requires, and the most reasonable uh, quotation and distribution and everything else for English came from Wida Books, and for the French we also did the same thing, and the most reasonable quotation came from uh, Amalian in, uh, in Dakar Senegal. in Senegal, Dakar, yes, I, I, and then. Uh, it's it's interestingly run by a Nigerian. I Sulaiman. know him, Sulaiman. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I knew straight away yes. what, yeah, the, the publisher that you were talking about. Yes. He's actually published a poem of mine. Before, oh, so oh, fantastic. Yes, it's based in Kadaka. Uh, yeah. Yes. And then the, the, the Kiswahili was done by E&D uh, Publishing in, uh, in uh, Dar es Salaam. And again, they came, they did the work. Uh, they were they were very involved 
you know and uh, there was something beautiful about how all three publishers in fact everybody who was involved yourself orally who uh, edited the French Edwidge who translated and Elias and um, everybody who was involved how they realized what an important project this was for the continent and how they took ownership of it. And, and, and so I don't even begin to understand, like, when, when people talk about how, how Africans can't work together, I'm like, we should be running the African Union. We should be, <laughs> we should be running the African Union. Because uh, it was magic, yes, you know? And, and I definitely think that uh, we, we were just at the festival and there was a panel on Pan-Africanism and there's always that question of is this still relevant, is, this, is it working, uh, African nations uh, collaborating and do they see their goals as one. But I think that in the writing sphere, we definitely embody that. Do. And, and this project is definitely like uh, one way of that, but it's also like the, the kindness and the generosity of, of writers on on and of this continent, you know, in uh, you know how how they stand for each other, how they they are there for each other, and and it's it's it can't be said enough. So I'm like, you know, it's it's a it's a tribe I'm very lucky and very proud and happy to belong to. Same here, same here, Zuki. Uh, the anthology, just going from what we've just um, talked about now, it's teachable. I mean, it's, it's great in the sense that it's us. It's been done by us. Mm -hmm. Hasn't it? Yes, it has. And, and this is the thing. I mean, uh, this, and this is historic. This, this is very much so. Um, and, and, and that's why I was very also very, very glad that uh, when the Guta Institute came on as a partner, they are and, and they were doing the funding. It was very important for me to say, listen, this is the leeway that I need. I need to be okay to select, you know, who's going to work on this project. And not be... Uh, I, did, I didn't want to, do, to be dictated. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to feel like an African president going to the World Bank. <laughs> and, and, uh, so you had, yes. you had free yes. reign. I had free reign. I had, like, uh, I had like artistic oversight of whatever. And I could say, you know what? I think this person would be like, what you call it, the best person to work on this and stuff and everything, and, and this person, and it was, yeah, and so it was lovely that that could happen, and it was wonderful that uh, everybody, man, I'm just, I'm just saying all of you all, so thank you. <laughs> We're in awe of you. I have spoken to you before about the interiority of quite uh, a few of the protagonists mm. in the story, mm. and then later I, th I thought about it that, well, adolescents, they're, they're not usually the best communicators. They, they're not usually the best communicators. They're not usually the easiest to talk mm. to. They're, they're in worlds of their own. They're in their minds. And some of these stories, like Tara's hair, mm. do uh, very much tap into that sensibility of getting the reader into the interior yes. of the protagonist. Absolutely. Which is what a lot of Parents, <laughs> yeah, don't don't, have don't a recognize. Crack. Yes, I know. But did you even imagine, like, when you were, when when I when when we talked and I said to you, I'm sending you the manuscript, that you'd have, you'd have 
a submission from like from Mauritius, you know. Like Tara's hair was just such a such a beautiful, such a layered story, you know, or, or, or from Malawi, you know. Because usually when when these things happen, it's always like South Africa and Nigeria. South Africa and Nigeria, Nigeria and Kenya. Kenya. Exactly. Pulling you know. Up <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So 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 now you're like you're like you're like Congo, you're so like how many know? how many we have contributors from like how many countries? You thirteen know? countries, thirteen countries. Thirteen. So countries we have uh, let me let me Malawi. let me we've got we've got Malawi, yes, we've got uh, we've got Mauritius, we've got uh, Kenya, we've got Malawi, we've got Botswana, we've got we Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon, we've got Togo, we've got Dia Congo, we've got. Um, um wow. uh, we've got South Africa, we've got Nigeria as usual, we've got as Uganda, <laughs> Nigeria and South Africa as usual, we've got Uganda and uh yeah. So thirteen countries were represented. Wonderful. So we have talked about a story uh that is uh narrated by uh a character living with albinism. But um, I was also struck by, even though these are not didactic stories, these are wonderful stories in themselves, but they do touch on a lot of issues on the, even right now that we're dealing with on the African continent, one character has a mom who has gone as a maid mm. to Saudi Arabia in, the, in search of the Golden Fleece, who comes back disillusioned. I mean, mm. this is told by an unreliable unre narrator. narrator. And that's why it's so beautiful, the journey. <laughs> so we never know. Fatma Shafi, you know? Yes yes, yes. yes. That was an original, originally in Kiswahili, you know, that story. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We have uh, the father mm. that comes back to his, we won't say, yeah. we will not give any spoilers, but of course, he comes back to the family he abandoned. Mm. And especially now when we have, here in Nigeria, we have so many families uh, living apart now, fathers in Canada mm. and elsewhere, and families are, and yeah, so yeah. we have that. So it, it was very, very relatable. Were there any, were there other issues perhaps that you'd like to talk to? Oh yeah, no, I mean, we, we also had the issues of death, you know? Yes. Uh, like how do how do how do how do how do young people deal with death? How do they deal with with grief loss, with grief and loss? Yes. Yes. We uh, but it wasn't. Uh, we we also had like uh, the first loves, you know. That generally, like you know, like when you read like summer school, summer school. <laughs> my three you know, failures. you know, my year of failure, my you know. Year of yeah, and, and the year of failure, and 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 uh, and then you also have like very has. yes, but you also have those fantastical themes as well, like the title story, "What Are Birds on the Lake Shore," uh, the, the hunter, the hunter, burden, you know, but but they're fantastical and they're I would call them sci-fi, but very much set on this continent with the sensibilities of Africa and. So I enjoyed and that, the and the real folk tale. Exactly, I thought even forever yeah. hers. Mm. I mean, there were there were quite a number of these, and so accomplished. I wondered whether 
you did anything in particular to ensure that you got uh, stories in in the speculative genre, or or it just happened? No, we we didn't. We said we 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 called out widely. Submit whatever you want to work, whatever you want submit. I mean, you, we did even have a story of parental separation. You know, yes. remember. Uh, a, change of, a, change, a change in sleeping arrangements. Sleeping arrangements. Yes, but uh, we didn't actually ask for that. People, people just submitted. Uh, but the, here's what was interesting: all the facilitators, we kind of like had a, a, a WhatsApp group, you know, before before the workshop, and we we set up how it was we're going to facilitate this workshop, and we had to do it in. Whatever. So, for instance, I did the Kigali workshop, and uh, and my 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 workshop participants, uh, and and I was so sorry that I couldn't have the other three go through. Three, I had six participants, and three are in this anthology, you know. And I had nothing to do with their selection, you know, uh, which showed how much hard work. And 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 I think when I received the stories. Initially, after the the Accra workshop facilitator selected, these are the stories that I wanted. wanted. They were pretty average, but um, but the work that a lot of these writers, all of them, in fact, put in during the workshop was absolutely amazing. It was a week's workshop. Uh, the cane workshop is usually two weeks, and uh, in this week's workshop, we had uh, we had people who gave their all. I remember. My workshop participants, uh, I think I put them through fifth, five drafts of their, stories. of their stories in one week. I put them through five drafts. I say, there's a sense here that you've managed yourself and the facilitators, you've managed to bring new voices in the truest sense of the word. Um, many of these contributors in this anthology I'd never heard of before, and so they're coming out, you know, big time. And how how did you manage that? Yeah, my sister. I think obviously the most important thing was when we had uh, the moderators. You know, when we had when we had the facilitators read names that were not from their country. That to me is what what made it, what caused it all this difference because uh, there was no. There wasn't then that bias of saying, "Oh, uh, I've 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 heard of Molara before, <laughs> you know, she's in our literary circles and she's at Akeda." There wasn't that bias. People were reading and they were they were giving feedback based on the stories because they didn't know people from this country that were submitting, and, and, and so I think that above so all else made purely on, on the strength of, of, of the, the story, the potential of the story. Yes, and can you imagine? There are writers that I know on this continent who submitted, and then I had to send a, a, a Dear John, we regret letter. And I was like, yo, because all of the ones, the ones that were sent in English, I was personally responding to each of the emails. I didn't have a PA or anything, you know, because the budget was very tight. But, you know, I was very happy to do this. So, no one got an easy pass. No! Somebody sent me a WhatsApp message. They were like, Ah, Zooks. And I'm like, hey, you know, sorry, man. And I, I didn't make the... No, I, 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 couldn't, I, I, I couldn't even go and... I, 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 think, I think I might have created enemies because I couldn't even explain that, 
it wasn't my choice up until the book had come out. So you are the first person I'm explaining this to. You did the you rest know. then. Well, hopefully some of those people will listen to this podcast. I hope they do too. And be satisfied with your explanation. Uh, definitely, it's the work that matters. It's about creating an uh, enduring uh, stuff that matters. And Absolutely. To the extent that you've done that with this anthology, I think everybody... Uh, should be rightly proud, even uh, people that were that no, no one it. to submit anyway with that sense of entitlement. Like I'm definitely going to get uh, through. Uh, it, it's a it's it's an examination of sorts. No, yes, that's true. But I think sometimes uh, we 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 get into we get a bit like a day's call because we're familiar with the person who's doing the project. Certainly. If you were doing it and I submitted it, I'd be I'd, I'd have expected to be selected. <laughs> yeah. So um, the me- the methodology. Yes. What you were saying about Nigerians actually being a sizable number of the submissions, as you know, I edited Ake uh, Festival Review Journal mm. uh, a couple of years now. And um, more than a couple of years, ma'am. About Please don't be years. humble. <laughs> about four years, but um, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Uh, so, in over five hundred uh, submissions, you have this deluge of Nigerians, and we have a duty to make this journal as representative as, as practicable. Possible. Yes, mm-hmm. for of of other people who are going to participate the, in, the, in the festival, guests, and the, the reach of African countries and the, and the diaspora yes. that, we are, that we consider to be our constituency. And of course, when you have 200 uh, submissions from one country, quality is also a bit of a hit and miss. Mm-hmm. There will be those that stand out and there will be those that are just by the way. So, uh, so the title of the anthology is the title of one of the stories. Yes. Did you, how did you decide, and it's a beautiful title by the way, Water Birds on the Lake Shore. Um, how did you home in on this particular one as the one that would carry the anthology? It, it really was about uh, the beauty of the title, to be honest. Um, I mean, we had. Um, we had, you know, like, terrace hair. I didn't want people to assume it's a book about, you know... Uh, so about you were always whatever. going to name the entire anthology after one of the one, stories? One of the stories. Okay. That was so very that important was to me. always yeah. So Yeah. So there were, there were a, lot of, a lot of stories, but I also didn't want to risk, uh, risk it where people would assume that the, the, the anthology must therefore... Be about this. So, for instance, be one of the, the particular yes. subjects. So, yes. So, for uh, and and water birds on the lecture is is vague enough. Uh, up until you read it, then you understand. It's actually quite a literal, if you will. Even uh, the water birds. Exactly. Aren't <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, I mean, you can imagine it's a brilliant piece of um, mm. you know imagery yes. in the uh, in, in the story. Yeah, so you can imagine uh, what would have happened is, uh, in fact, I was, I, was, I was torn between that and uh, black on your white iris. But I just thought, you know, the water birds, and it was such a calming, calming title for me as well. And, um, and a bit abstract. Yes, and yeah. So, you know, 
uh, you imagine if we'd named it the journey, everybody would have assumed that uh, it's about traveling it or whatever it is. Stories. Yes, if we'd named it burden. Uh, you know, we already have a problem as an African continent about how hey, you get. Well, I mean, even black cornea, white iris might have seemed about uh, race, maybe, yeah. or issues of colorism uh, uh, yeah. entirely. Exactly. Yes. So. You know? So, yeah. So that seemed to me abstract enough uh, to make it work. Wonderful. Mm. So what's been the... Um, the, the the, the feedback from the writers themselves. Oh, I think how did they enjoy Lagos? How like how many of them had been in Nigeria before etc etc? It's 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 been it's been phenomenal. A lot of them have arrived home now. They've sent messages saying, "Oh, we we're, we're here, we've got home," and they've been saying thank you. Many of them have had never been to a literary festival, so you can imagine with their first short story, the fact that they could travel, make, a, make an entrance in, into the literary, into the literary scene, you know. So, and those, these people yeah. are being published for the first time. Yes. And then, yeah, so then they were seeing, but also the idea that we, with this anthology, they were now having a conversation across languages on this continent was so very important. So, yeah, it's, it's, we can't, you know, say that often enough. Mm. Yeah. Uh, some of the uh, other issues we've not touched on, we've, we've got a short story here uh, about uh, sickle cell. Uh, one character's mom is a maid to a white lady. Mm. Uh, no, it's a black woman, actually. The, the, the yes, it's a black woman. The madam is... Yes, the, the madam is a black is woman. A, yes. Why have I forgotten that? Okay, so she goes to... Okay, so it's about class, really. Yes. Class, class, mm. class. Because you see, because she's also talking about her mom selling Tupperware and stuff and everything. Yeah. Versus later on, now she's staying in the village with her grandmother and yeah. the ma'am, yeah. you know. It, it, um, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering now why one would just think that that was... A white family that because the, the the lifestyle in that home where the mom is the maid is so alien uh, alien exactly to, our, to the, our protagonist for to the to our narrator mm -hmm. and um, things like taking the dog for a walk uh -huh. <laughs> she didn't understand how like why why can't the dog go uh -huh. by himself and the fact that her mom is the one who's doing by, it by her by her name. name. And so on and yeah. so forth. And that I think that was why it was also particular, particularly jarring for that young woman because uh, it, it's classism, but it's another person who looks like her who's talking to her mm -hmm. mother mm -hmm. and referring to her by her first name. So it's like, wow, everybody else calls her Mama Banbani, you see. Yeah, yeah. We have some uh, queer uh, stories also. I mean, just talk. About one or two stories, if you like, without yeah. uh, obviously without giving away without too giving much. It away, yes. Yeah, no. Uh, so it th there is the, there is a queer story, but there is also uh, such serious subject like uh, like uh, pedophilia, you mm. know, which comes up in one of the stories. Uh, there is uh, as mentioned before There's class dimensions, class dynamics in, in quite a few of the stories. Um, there's an oh, yeah, Oblier. Yes. Yeah, in Oblier, that's there is 
class whatever and 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 in and in, class and, and, affects people are, are differently. differently and 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 the in the, the way society exactly and the way it was it was it was such commentary on what's happening in in today's cameroon you know and uh and but the setting could be the setting is cameroon for this particular story but any places that have had like possible child soldiers or any uprisings or whatever it is can relate to this story on this continent i definitely could relate yeah there was the idea of fatherhood uh what does it mean you know uh parenthood are you you know are you a parent if you're not present you know that was the subject of one of the stories we had uh you know i I, I, have the mom that cannot deal with the child that has sickle cell yes exactly and the child needs to to whatever and the and the and the and the and the the older sister who is the teenager you know uh, becoming becoming, being forced to be an adult before her time and uh what you call it i also often think of, of forever hers as 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 a, as a as a story about mental health it's a, a bipolar story you know naka the lama warrior which is like girl fantastic power. girl yes. power you know and uh, uh the year Her of failure of course uh, yeah feminist. exactly yes. of how the year of failure is an, an indication of how sometimes we can get something so wrong just uh because we haven't communicated to somebody, you know. So this guy was dragging, dragging through all his life this idea that this person hated them when they didn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. When they were like, ah, okay, yeah. So yeah, and yet it's so rooted in, 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 in their being a teen because of the certainty of being a teen, where you always think you are always on the defensive. That that that, um, that moment of transition maybe. Yeah. Or like I said earlier, things could easily go this way or that way. Absolutely. You could easily, you could find happiness if you went this way or not, but mm. you didn't know until it happened. Mm. And also the idea of holding on to an entitled time in one's youth mm. and and how that can stay with you the rest of your life, exactly. good or ill. The, the year of failure is also. Uh, one of maybe about three or four stories that could have been the kind of stories that someone in in America writes. Exactly. Which typically, uh, previously in African writing, you would think you would not see it. You would you would think that maybe it's about nothing. Mm. <laughs> so now this has been done. Uh-huh. So it's in the bookshops now. Yes, it's in the bookshops. Uh, and if you are in Lagos, of course, widow books. You can come and get it in Ikeja and GRA, and all of the places, and all the other places where where uh, you know great books are sold, (laughs) and And it's also like all over the continent now as well. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. Your host Molara Wood here. Given that Zukizwavana has been busy becoming the first African woman to be awarded the Gotha Medal and starting Afro-Lit Sons Frontiers, the world's first online literary festival and featuring African writers, Art for the People caught up with her for an update on her activities. Over a link from Nairobi, Zukizwa talked about her fondness for honors that originate from home, 
her upcoming projects and the death of Zinzi Mandela. We were talking about the Afro Young Anthology and the, you had a lot to say about that. And uh, I'd just like to know, how has the anthology been performing? It has actually, I mean, COVID obviously has set us back, but it has absolutely been amazing. We're supposed to do a launch in Nairobi. We're supposed to do it like two weeks before the, you know, like two weeks after the lockdown, uh, but they shut us down quicker before we're able to do it um and where we're planning to do it is we had like some young young kids from uh a, a less economically good area and they were going to do a performance you know uh we translated in which we, tr- we did a did a i wrote a play and got the two swahili writers to translate that play and I merged their stories. So that's, that's what was going to happen. And there was, of course, the launch in uh, Johannesburg uh, just before lockdown again. That was in February. And I know that copies, despite the fact that Congo was not one of the countries that was in the, in the, that did the workshops or that took part, there were, you know, the books have been distributed to about many countries on the continent. So I think that's absolutely positive. And you have been very, very busy. You won the Gotha uh, yes. medal, as, um, which is yeah, not... Yeah, it's very excited about that. Yeah, conferred on individuals who have made outstanding contribution to international cultural exchange, which you, we, we all know mm-hmm. that you certainly have. But um, what are your reactions to, to, to winning that medal? Well, you know, of course, I'm, I'm very, I, was, I was very honored to be, um, to be selected for that. Um, and, and, and I'm not with, with people. I mean, you know, Vera is, is amazing. She's doing amazing work in, 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 in Bolivia. And Ian McEwen, you know, doesn't need an introduction. So it's... It was it was a it was an immense honor, uh, but as, as as I keep saying in interviews, as I keep saying since since, since I got this, as as great the honor as it is, you know, it kind of like just this that honor did not start from from the continent, you know. I would have preferred it if it were from here even more, but it doesn't mean that I appreciate it any less. But you know, it would have meant more. You've had a lot of press recently, uh, the New York Times, the South African, uh, some South African publications. Just yesterday, I was reading your interview in Doek. Is that how you say it? It's Duke. <laughs> Duke. <laughs> it's Afrikaans. So I don't expect you to get it right. <laughs> well, I'm embarrassed. Duke. Okay. So, uh, and uh, I've seen that you've given... In retweeting things, you've given a lot of prominence to those uh, publications originating from the continent. Was that deliberate? Yes, absolutely, it's deliberate. Um, I think it's, it's it's very important to acknowledge when our people acknowledge us. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely deliberate. Okay, and and you've been busy with Afro Late Song Frontiers, the um, the the online uh, festival. 
you yes that has been a lot of fun in fact you have the distinction of being the first person to start this initiative in response to the coronavirus you talk about yes and of course i mean like uh the of course and the day after we finished it there were some um some people from the colonials who wanted to claim that they were the first it was very interesting to me watching how the continent just did a pushback yes. up until they did that non-apology apology of theirs. So that was funny. <laughs> but yeah, the Afro-Lit Frontiers has been absolutely amazing. It has been, uh, you know, the continent uh, has been very generous in, um, in opening up and, and the continental writers, you know, they, there are always all these things about how African writers don't do this, African writers don't do this. But I think it's probably one of those situations that has shown, hey, you know what? When African writers are called to, they come to the table. Because, uh, unfortunately, because it's something that I just conceived out of home and I don't have any sponsorship, nobody is getting paid for it. But still, consistently, I ask people and people agree to do it, you know? And that means a lot. And you, you announced this at a time when most people were still in a daze over the lockdown, quarantine, and all of these things. And most people still didn't even know what to do with themselves. And you came up with this idea. How? Thank you. No, you know, it's, it, it actually came out from a conversation that I was having. Because I'd, I'd been watching something on, on television. On, 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 on Instagram, rather. I was, I was watching John Legends at home and I was thinking to myself, well, why can't we do this with, with literature? And I thought, everybody's at home right now. We've got a captive audience. And, um, and a lot of people are always, I don't know how many times, I know that has happened to you because it suddenly happens to me a lot of times where people say to me, uh, yeah, Zuki, so can you give us recommendations of, of, of books, of things to read? And I thought to myself, hey, I can have a literary festival where I do those recommendations by inviting all the writers that you probably don't know, but I feel you should know. Sometimes a few of them you know, but most of the time you don't know them, you know? And, and I think um, even people who are well-read like yourselves, I'm sure during the festival you've discovered some writers and some literatures that you didn't know. And I think that's what's exciting about it. That's what I was going to ask you next, that as immersed as I am, or as I like to think that I am in the literary environment, not just in Nigeria, but the continent and even beyond, there have been people featured in this festival who I never, I wasn't aware of before, and whose works I now follow. There, there's that, um, and then there's also the fact that I noticed this concerted effort to feature literally every corner of Africa without being led by who has an international publishing deal. It seems like an ideological choice that you've made. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, you and I talked about it when, when I was still doing, when I did uh, the Afro Young Adults, 
which was like something that was very important to me even when I did that then, which is essentially, I would like us to be speaking, you know. Um, I always said in getting, in getting my work translated, if my work is translated into French or it's translated into Portuguese, I'm more interested in getting that work to speak to the people in Mozambique and the people in, in Cote d'Ivoire and the people in Senegal than I am in, uh, in, in, in the people in France or the people in, in Portugal. I mean, if they dig it and it's cool, you know, but ultimately I want to talk more to the, to the continent because I know they understand what I'm talking about. I am not, I'm not doing certain things that, um, that I'm trying to, I'm trying to please a certain audience. I'm, I'm having a conversation with my continent, you know, uh, and if anybody else outside gets it, then fantastic, great. But if they don't, you know, I'm sorry, not sorry. So our first reference is ourselves. Mm. So the, the festival is uh, approaching series five now. What can we expect yes. with the, the fifth series? Yes, we're, we're going to series five and, um, you know, I, I'm going to make it the last in the English Portuguese. Sorry, guys. I want to make it the last in the English, Portuguese and, uh, and French. And a major reason for that is um, my, my agent is expecting my manuscript. So I need to put pedal to the metal, you know, and, and, and get going. Uh, but also... I, 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 so I, I need that bit of a break to do the work, the other work that I need to do. But secondly, I thought it would be worthwhile to take a bit of a break and then we'll have one month. I don't know whether we'll all still be on lockdown. Um, but if we aren't, uh, I still think it's important. We're going to have eight days in October, you know, because October in the UK is Black History Month. And it's the, it's the longest, it's the longest month uh, in the global West that has, that's, that, that has Black History Month. Because in the US, Black History Month is in February. So I thought if we do it in October, and so what's gonna happen in October is, um, um, you know, Mukoma and, uh, and Kola, are going to um, have agreed to um, to curate to co-curate a festival, an Afrolit festival, but with just African languages. So we'll have the Yorubas, we'll have the Swahili's, we'll have Shona, we'll have Zulu. So it's gonna be very exciting. I'm looking forward to all the Aosas and everything. I'm looking forward to seeing what's gonna happen, what they'll come up with. Is this the first time you're talking about this publicly? It is absolutely the first time I'm talking about it. So people get to hear that on um, Art for the People podcast first. They get to hear it on your podcast. Extra, extra. Hear all about it. Exclusive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so by Mukoma, of course, uh, Mukoma Wangugi, you're his publisher in East Africa. You're the publisher. Yes, I am. Eastern Southern Africa, yes. Okay. Eastern Southern Africa, okay. 
So Piverpo, mm. your publishing uh, outfit, can you talk about that and why you set that off? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I set it up essentially to do the, the sort of things, to fill the sort of gaps that I felt were, were lacking in, in South and in East Africa, uh, in Southern Africa and in East Africa. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I am more keen to be, to, to be doing partnerships with, with, with West Africa instead of, if, if, I can, if I can get in that market, then cool. But ideally, I don't want, I want us to be able to do like an exchange with West African publishers. So what I had in mind, uh, and, it, and it continues to the, to the hearts, to the roots of what I'm interested in, what I've done with La Chamba, what I've done with Afro Young Adult, uh, what I'm doing now with uh, Afro Lit Sons Frontiers is essentially, so the first book that I published is a children's book that I think you're familiar with because it's published by Weta Books, Story, 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 Come. I know. Um, and what I did, what I have done for, for Southern and East Africa is worked at getting it translated into as many major Southern and East African languages as possible. And the reason for that is I want, I don't want, I don't want only privileged children who speak English to be able to get access to the stories. I think that important to everybody. So I would ideally like, uh, so, so far I've got a, there's a Shona translation, there's translation there's a defender translation we've got a kiswahili translation in progress and i am i've, I've put it out to the universe and also apply for funding to see whether i can um get some um you know get 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 some funds so that i can do uh a French and Portuguese translation so that I'll be able then to, to do uh, Kimbundu and, uh, and Lingala translation, you know. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing how many languages we can uh, in Southern and East Africa, Southern, Central and East Africa uh, take care of because it's a population of about um, 400 million, you know, and most of those people are children. So I think we need to make sure that at least they're taken care of you know, the, as much as we talk about food security, we should also have food of the brain security. Yes. And you've uh, published Ukoma Wangugi's With the Scar. Can you talk about that? Yes, I, I published uh, With the Scar. You see, I, I saw With the Scar. It was called Mrs. Shaw originally. It was published in 2015 by... Um, Ohio University Press and when I you know it was that book uh, by Mkoma that uh, stayed for a very long time I read in my house because why do I want to read about Mrs. Shaw you know <laughs> I'm like who cares but anyway so this one time that I was actually like totally without anything to read and I was just like Okay, let me see what Mkoma is saying. You know, he's my friend after all. So I picked up Mrs. Show and I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is the book, the, the best book that is written as far as I'm concerned, you know, of the books that he's done. Obviously, maybe he'll come up with something much greater in future. So I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And I loved it and I enjoyed it. And then I was like, so I called him 
And I was like, dude, initially, I wanted copies from Oxford University Press, Ohio University Press, because I just wanted to do a performance for Artistic Encounters. I wanted the book for Artistic Encounters, which is something that I was curating for a very long time, for the last three years. And, uh, and so he said to me, yeah, to Ohio. And I, I got in touch with Ohio and I said to them, listen, I really, really, really want copies of this book. Where do I get it? And they're like, oh, it's sold out. And I'm like, I'm planning on reprinting. And they're like, no. And then they're like, do you want the rights? And I was like, yeah. You know? So I was like, cool. You know? So I hadn't planned to get the rights. But when they told me that, when they asked me whether I wanted the rights, I was like, yes, this book needs to be in circulation. So, so then they gave me the rights. And, and then, of course, I had... Um, you know, I did, uh, I mistakenly sent you the wrong PDF initially when you were reading through for, for one read. Um, but, uh, you know, and then I sent the question because I had to do an edit. I had to, you know, there was this Americanism to, 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 to the English that we speak on the continent, you know what I mean? Um, so I had to edit that, you know, and, um, and, I, and I enjoyed it immensely. I, I enjoyed working with, you know, remembering what what email addresses used to be there at the time of the writing, at the time where the book is set, which is like 2000 or whatever. So it was a lot of fun for me. And um, and, and Mkoma really just gave me a thing. Um, he, he was just like, do what you want. He was, he was, he was a very, he was such a fun, fun writer to work with, you know, because he wasn't held up and stuff and everything and then what we then did was after i finished then i said to him like before i'd even finished editing i said to him listen my guy this mr short thing it's not gonna fly (laughs) and he said to me okay and then he was like and i said let's think about title suggestions and he's like, oh, I had written it as the book of what? I'm like, no, 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 the book of what, what? No, 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 no. And we, and we went through. And, and I was like, and then the one thing that, that hit me, you know, and that is, and I got this while I was swimming, which is the kind of thing why I'm sad that we can't swim anymore because of Corona. <laughs> so I was swimming and I was thinking to myself, the one thing that uh, Kalumba has, you know, the one thing that, that every writer, every reader remembers is how he, the first time that you see him later on is how he's, he's got all these cars on his back. It's such a, it's such a thing. And, 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 and it was like his physical scars. But I started thinking also about, you know, I started thinking about how everybody in that story is scarred. But I also started thinking about myself as a reader because he sets it in an, you know, in a random African country. You know, it's, it's a fictional African country, but it's very much the story of each and every one of us. It's the story of each and every one of our countries constantly. Our politicians make us hope and constantly we get disappointed. So there's this moment of hope and we think, oh, we're there, we're there. It's going to happen now. And then... You know, and that's what essentially happens in that, you know, so I'm like, Mkoma, how about we the scarred? And Mkoma was like, hey, how about we the scarred? And, and that was it, really, you know. 
Well done. Yeah. So you've, you've just talked about your manuscript. So what can we expect from you next? Right. It's, I've, I've got, well, firstly, I have already, I did a, a book for younger children, um, I guess nine to 12, uh, and it's a reimagining of, of uh, Nelson Mandela during his Black Pimpernel days. So it's, it's an adventure series. Um, and there were eight writers that were invited throughout the world to do this reimagination. And uh, I was lucky to be one of them, you know, and it's going to be published by Pushkin Press. Uh, expected date of publication is going to be, I was just talking to my um, editor and he was saying it's May uh, 2021, you know, but I've already submitted the last thing and they've already put out the first two in the series. But I'm hoping maybe by May 2021, when it comes out, we won't have Corona. So I'll be able to come and come to Nigeria and uh, go to South Africa and go to Zim, go to all over the continent, go to Congo, go to, go to Angola and be able to like raise it to kids, you know? And yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's essentially it, really. Which which press did you say? Which press is publishing it? Uh, it's Pushkin Press in 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 uh, in London. I mean, you've just talked about a, a literary project about Mandela. We are having this conversation mm. today when news has just broken about the passing of Zinzi Mandela. Yes, and did. It's it's really heartbreaking because um, she, um, you know, she passed on today. And in this book, when this when this man is captured, you know, he went underground. This particular section of the book, he went underground when she was um, immediately after the treason trial. Uh, so when she was like three months old, and um, and then he was underground. So, of course, I mean, there were times that Winnie would visit and stuff uh, with children, but she was still too very young. And when he actually got imprisoned, uh, when he got uh, arrested in 1962, which led to the Rivonia trial in his life sentence, which ended up being 27 years, uh, she was, she was, um, she was, um, she wasn't even two years old. She was like, she was a few, few months to two, you know? And uh, so she never saw this man who was her father, except from pictures and from hearing stories about him. And yet one of the things that all of us remember the most, all of us who are South African remember the most, is 1985, when she, um, when she read the speech that he, he wrote, you know, the, as a response to, to P.W. Botha, who was saying he wanted to negotiate with him and he could set him free and famously known as my first aid speech, you know. And so that's one of the things, obviously, that one remembers. But um, closer to home to, to, to me is in... Um, in 2010, in 2009, actually, 
the book came out in 2010. In 2009, I I did a collaboration of a coffee table book with with um, the late of Kumalo, who was one of the greatest photographers in South Africa. And, um, you know, so it was his photographs. And because I was familiar with his photographs, uh, I did essays in the book. And it's called 8115, A Prisoner's Home. And she was my script consultant in so much, so far as uh, letting me know, because there were certain things that Alf wasn't too clear with. And so I got in touch with her and I'd say, okay, who's in this photo and when was this exactly? So that I would know which section of the book it would go into. And she was extremely generous and she was extremely kind and she had a wicked sense of humor. And, um, and, and, and I would, I would ask her and she would tell me and, you know, and, and what happened after that is there was a dinner for, for this, for Afkumala's 50 years. And she came with, um, with uh, her mom, Mama Wini Mandela. And, and, and she came and there were, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were, there were like, just like a lot of fun. Like Winnie was late, right? So <laughs> she made an appearance as obviously only she could, you know? But it was like one of those things where everybody was like, oh my God, oh my God, Winnie's late, Winnie's late, Winnie's late, is Winnie coming? And Alf was like, no, Winnie's coming. And then when she finally came, it was just like one of those things where she came and even if you'd be annoyed that she was late, she charmed all of us so much, she made us laugh. And Zindu was there and she was amazing and she made us laugh. And later on, I, uh, I did keep in touch with her so I would email sporadically. In a particular project, um, it was interesting. I very deliberately, uh, I would normally have told her, but you know, the Nelson Mandela Foundation knew about it. I very deliberately didn't email her to tell her about it because what I had to do is I, I had decided that when the book came out, I just wanted to go and, and you know, send her a copy so that she would be pleasantly surprised because I put her and then in the book as children, you know? So, yeah, so it's, 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 it's hit hard. So, and it's a loss. So South never, Africa. She's never going and, to read that you know, now. Humanity everywhere. She's never going to read that now. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I was hopefully reading, her kids will read it. I was reading something earlier on today where, uh, someone was quoted as saying that Zinzi Mandela was uh, a struggle uh, activist in her own right. And I think that is so true. We in Nigeria, no, even we in Nigeria back in the days when Mandela was still incarcerated, Zinzi was very, very visible and, and uncompromising and fearless. Yes, absolutely. A lot of people forget, actually, that in, in 1977, when uh, Winnie Mandela uh, was banished to Brantford, uh, she was banished with Zinzi, you know. She went there with his, with his daughter who, you know, in spite of everything that she went through, I think perhaps more than anybody else, Zinzi had the right to be angry that she had her parents taken from her. She was banished. She, she uh, dealt with so much as a young child. Like, I don't, she didn't have a childhood. Like, 
all of us have had childhood. She didn't have a childhood. She was she was a child of the struggle. She she wasn't she she just couldn't be Uzinzi. So she was she was Nelson and Winnie's child all the time, and 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 that can take a toll on on any child, you know. But but somehow she she managed to come out of it um, with with grace and with, with with love for her fellow human beings, and and that says a lot about her, you know. May we ask you to perhaps read from your writing about Mandela? Yes, absolutely. Let me see where I can read from. How much time do I have so that I can know when to stop? How much time do you want? <laughs> you don't you don't want to ask a writer. They will ask. They'll be just like, okay, can I get an hour? Okay, okay, all right. Uh, so let me let me let me yeah, I'm gonna read I'm I'm gonna read the first chapter. And what I did is I I started the first chapter, so I started the book kind of in reverse. Where where I start with Mandela getting arrested, you know, um, and it's my I was obviously trying to have fun with 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 the writing because then I had to go backwards and 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 you know to lead you to back to that arrest. So as you know, when when Mandela was 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 um, you know undercover, he used the name David Ntamai, which was the name of his clients. So here he's in Durban. He's about to, he's, he's with a white friend of his who's acting like his boss, you know, uh, so that if they get acting like a chauffeur, so that when they get stopped, he's like, ah, no, I'm this guy's driver, you know. The end of David. Are you ready, David? His traveling companion asked. Yes, I am, Mr. Williams, the man called David says. It's their little inside joke where they travel together and are not in a safe spaces. Sometimes David even calls him bus, Afrikaans word that white men expect to hear from black or brown men. A word that means master and shows that they are in charge. They are the boss. Still Williams is older than David. In the hierarchy of the anti-apartheid movement that they both belong to, however, David would be the boss. But David is black and still is white. In South Africa of 1962, a country where a man is judged by his race, the black man is always expected to serve the white man. David makes sure he carries himself like the respectful chauffeur he's supposed to be. He carries Cecil's briefcase and puts it on the back seat. Will you sit at the back with your briefcase, Mr. Williams, sir? David asks as he opens the back door and doffs his cap. Cecil, a theater director who rather enjoys performing as much as enjoys directing performance answers. No, old chap, you know what? I think I'll arrive today since you drove on your way here. I have a lot of work for you when you return to Johannesburg, so you will drive enough. David lowers his head, opens the door for Cecil, and when Cecil is seated, he goes round and sits on the front passenger seat. He fills his revolver, a gift from his military trainer in Ethiopia in its holster inside his jacket. Once they start driving, they both relax. You must be tired, comrade, Cecil says, exhausted. The trip and everything I did had to be done, but I can't wait to sleep for a few days. 
Then his eyes light up. And of course they were winning. My poor wife. Widowed while I'm alive. It will be so good to see her and the children. Cecil grants an agreement but says nothing, leaving David alone with his thoughts. Today, they're driving in the light of day. David prefers it that way. Night brings cover, but there's also the unknown. In their hunt for him, police imagine that he travels only at night, and that is when they set roadblocks. Today, two days ago, when he arrived in Betrayland, the magistrate told him the South African police were already on the lookout for him. Did someone in the movement let slip that he's coming back? The route from Durban to Joburg is one of the most beautiful parts of the country. The hills and valleys are brown with some sparse greenery. The South African winter has just ended, but it is part of the country. The weather is always warm and welcoming. He wonders if the hills have any caves. He chuckles to himself. He has really started thinking more like a soldier than a politician. What? Cecil asked, taking his eyes from the road for a moment and looking at him. Nothing, he says. He's thinking of his soldiers, well-trained and well-armed, using the caves up these hills as bases. They'll be able to do some covert operations in Durban, Pierre-Maritzburg, and surrounding areas from there without being detected, he thinks. And should someone finally know where they are, assuming they come and investigate without helicopters first, they could hurl some boulders down the hill and cause some damages while escaping. He looks outside again, this time as the man who grew up in the village but has become a city man. He remembers the freedom of the outside. He never tires of the beauty that he sees when he travels this road. And today he's traveling as tired as he is. And today as he's traveling, as tired as he is, he's feeling happy even as he worries about the police. He's happy because he managed to brief the leaders of his organization, the African National Congress, on his travel on the continent and beyond. Travels which were fruitful to the movement as they were to him as a commander-in-chief of the armed wing of the movement. Umkontwe Siswe, Spear of the Nation. He believes that the training he received while he was away will allow him to truly be the spear that pricks the nation's conscience. Perhaps, though, their perhaps through their military tactics, the government can begin to see all people as equal, whether black, white, or brown. Through his organization's actions, he hopes that the president of South Africa, Hendrik Verud, and his government can begin to see all people as equal. Not everyone agrees, but the man in the passenger seat believes only an armed revolution will free them from the yoke of the apartheid state. As far as the apartheid government is concerned, South Africa belongs to the Europeans and everyone else is there to serve them in their different degrees. They're Asians with less privileges than the Europeans. The coloreds, a mixture of either Asian and African or African and European who failed to pass for whites or Africans who succeeded in passing for coloreds, perhaps with their soft curls that a pencil could fall through and lighter complexion have it better than the Africans. Then the Africans. They that the Europeans and sometimes everyone else in this country without African origin believes I at the bottom not on his watch. He thinks again with a sense of euphoria. As commander-in-chief of Umkontwe Sizwe, he plans to change this. This land is beautiful, he says to his companion when driving. No wonder they'll do anything to keep it, including invent eyes that there was no one when they got here. 
He's happy too that he met with the Durban commander, command led by Bruno Mtolo. It was the first time he and Bruno met, but he has heard good things about him. There have been one or two complaints about his drinking, but from what he saw of him yesterday, it's nothing to worry about. Bruno has briefed him about the base they've set up in Durban's Kloof neighborhood, a neighborhood meant for Europeans on African soil. Bruno justifies being there by pretending to be a gardener to one of their white comrades. The irony. Perhaps this is what is meant to be servant leaders. The Durban command has been doing well with their acts of sabotage. He laughed with them and complimented them on blowing up a power station that caused darkness for a while in the city of Durban earlier in the year. He's happy too because after briefing both the party and the Durban command, the comrades in Durban hosted a party for him. They called it a welcome home party as he has just, just arrived back in the country. They also called it a farewell party as he was leaving Durban to return to Johannesburg. He looks in the rearview mirror as he remembers the music and dancing and he gets anxious. Cecil, he says to the man who's driving. Cecil hears the seriousness and his voice takes his eyes off the road flea again and answers. Yes, David. They both laugh a little. The use of this name, David, continues to be a source of amusement to them both. In the safety of the car, they can laugh. You know this tallest state machinery wants me, he says warming up to his subject. How many years do you think they would give me if they knew that I'm not just a speaker, but I'm now a guerrilla, military trained? Cecil does a small whistle before answering. You're a lawyer. What do your law books say? A life sentence? He shakes his head and answers. It won't be life. They want me dead. Definitely a death sentence. His anxiety increases. He's the father of five. If anything were happen to happen to him, what would happen to his children? He smiles a little nervously, but then remembers that he has nothing to worry about. He has good comrades across the racial groups. They would be loyal to his memory and look after his family. Then he shakes his head. Lately, his feelings of apprehension have almost always become equal to his feelings of joy. Nothing will happen to him. He whispers under his breath to give him self-courage. The apartheid police fumble, and for the last two years, his greatest strength has been hiding in plain sight. Do you think my little Zinzi will remember me? I've been away for so long, he asks. This episode was recorded in part at Wida House in Lagos. As for the People podcast is supported by Radio Now 101.9 FM Lagos. Music is by Edalto. Mimo is our producer. And I'm your host, Monora Wood. Don't forget to rate, share, and review Art for the People. And look out for the next episode wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.